0: Well, I'm glad that you're able to be here today, whether you're joining us in person at one of our services on Sunday morning or whether you're watching online. Welcome. Glad that you're here. I don't know about you, but there are some things about the church. There's some things about the story of the church that just don't add up for me. For me, the real mystery is, how in the world did the story of Jesus even get out of the first century? How do we know the story of Jesus? I mean, why do we know the story? Why is the son of a Jewish carpenter who became a rabbi, who was crucified by Rome, you know, just like so many other people, who was basically living in the slums of the Roman Empire, Judea, like why do we even know his name? Why is it that we know this story? Roman historians certainly never wrote about it. Nobody important wrote about it, but we do have four accounts of his life, and we know more about Jesus than we do about any of the Roman emperors. The question is, how do we know so much? There are a couple different ways to approach this. There are historians who look for natural causes, which is good. That's what historians are supposed to do. And a good historian asks the question, you know, how is it that the church is so large? How is it that long, long ago, a couple thousand years ago, this guy named Jesus did some things and now a third, like a third of the world's population believes that Jesus is somehow connected to God? Those are two undeniable things, that the church is huge around the world and it started in the slums of the Roman Empire in Palestine with this one guy named Jesus. So the historian has to ask the question, how did that happen? How did this Jesus movement get started, and how has it spread, and why did anybody pay attention? Really, so how in the world did his name even get out of the first century? I mean, Jesus started a movement that survived the Roman Empire and has taken on and has captured the attention of a third of the people who are alive today. This is absolutely incredible. The only explanation that works for me is the explanation of the eyewitnesses, and this is where our story begins. A small-time historian named Luke interviewed a bunch of people, put together an orderly account. They call it the Book of Acts, A-C-T-S, the Acts of the Apostles. And in this book of the Bible, we get the eyewitness account of how the church started. And that's where the church started as a movement of a handful of people who believed that Jesus actually rose from the dead. They live in the city outside the walls where he was actually crucified, They're living in the city of Jerusalem outside of the walls where he actually rose from the dead. And they were eyewitnesses about two months after his resurrection, about two weeks after he went into the heavens, about 120 of these eyewitnesses went out into the streets of Jerusalem in Acts chapters 1 and 2, and they begin to proclaim that Jesus is the risen Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the Son of the living God, and that he was raised from the dead. And Luke tells us the story that the church got started on that day when they began to preach that message and about 3,000 people became Christians. They didn't call them that yet. About 3,000 people embraced the idea that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, that he'd risen from the dead, not 20 years ago, not 500 miles away, but not in a galaxy far, far away, but like right over there, a couple hundred yards from where they were standing. And the church was born. And there were no buildings, There were no liturgies, there was no tradition, there was no order of worship, there were none of those things. There were no priests, or pastors, or elders, or boards, or committees. It was just a group of people that saw something, believed something supernatural happened in their midst, and the church was born. And the reason the church survived the first century is not simply the teachings of Jesus. It survived the first century because of something extraordinary that happened. And that single event, the resurrection of Jesus, was central to the teaching and belief system of these early believers. And the church was a movement, a group of people. The church was a movement of people who were on a simple mission. Our mission is that people know that Jesus is risen from the dead and that people would embrace the values of this new kingdom that Jesus had introduced. So they went out from their community and they began to spread this good news and it was a totally outward focused movement. You know what happened over time? The church got organized and the church got buildings. I mean, it had to get organized, but there began to be a hierarchy and people got control and people realized they could leverage religion to control people. And things went kind of crazy. And before long, the outwardly focused movement that was about passion and love and acceptance that said, hey, we don't care what color your skin is or where you're from or what your story is. We just want you to know that Jesus is the son of God. He's risen from the dead and he's come to restore relationship with our heavenly father. This outward focused movement began to turn inward. And you know what I've learned? I'm a pastor I'm the son of a pastor, I've been around this deal for a long time. Churches make this transition from outward focus to inward focus really, really quickly. In fact, the gravitational pull of a local church, the gravitational pull of every local church is back towards the insiders, back towards us church people. And churches become very, very inwardly focused very, very quickly and very, very seamlessly. Sometimes they get really, really judgmental. I mean, who would even want to go to church? But I'm just telling you, especially if you're you know kind of an anti-church person or you're someone who's been burned by the church, I'm telling you, when you look at the original church, it was amazing, it was beautiful, it was simple. In fact, there there was a verse that says in Jerusalem, even though there was some tension around the Jesus thing because there always is, the Christians in Jerusalem had favor with all the people because there's something just so unusual and unique and remarkable and attractive. But churches tend to turn in on themselves quickly. Did you know that we, faith community, we are not immune from this subtle shift, this subtle turn to where it's about us? So before we start into this, I want to tell you the story, and then we're going to get in here. But here's what happened. 3,000 people joined the church in one day, big launch of the church, very successful launch day. A few days later, Peter and John are going to the temple. The temple is the epicenter of Judaism, of their faith, and also of Jewish culture. In the minds of first century Jews is where God lives. And Peter and John are Jews, so they're going to the temple to pray. But now they're also Christians. So they're followers of Jesus. So there's this little tension, this conflict going on. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they meet this guy who hasn't been able to walk since he was born. And in this culture and at this time, since the guy can't walk, he can't work a job, he can't be productive. So to support himself, he becomes a beggar. And Peter and John go by and this guy's holding out his can and he wants some money. And Peter and John are like, sorry, dude, we don't have any money, (coughs) Excuse me, but we have something better. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, oh, great. They're like, we want you to get up and walk. <laughs> and this guy is miraculously healed. So he follows them into the temple. And you won't find this in the Bible, but I remember it from flannelgraph in Sunday school. So the people in the temple, they recognize him and they're like, hey, wait, you were, but, but, I, you, but now you were out and now you're, look, everybody, Frank's walking. Since I was a kid, Frank's been sitting out here outside the temple gate, but now he's walking and suddenly there's a buzz and there's a stir and all of a sudden there's all this emotion and all this energy in the temple. It was one thing for, for Peter when, when Peter was creating havoc out on the streets, that was one thing. But now he and John are creating problems in the temple. So everybody, everybody kind of gathers around to check this out. Because they've heard that Frank's walking around now. He's jumping and running all over the place and doing jumping jacks and burpees. And and Peter, he just can't help himself. He decides again to preach a sermon right there in the temple. So this is important. Peter, we think of Peter as a religious authority, right? Peter was not a religious authority, he had no business doing this. (laughs) But he preaches a sermon. And in the middle of the sermon, he talks about the word that he can't stay away from, and it's the word resurrection, over and over again, resurrection, resurrection. And Luke tells us in the book of Acts that by the end of the day, by the end of his message, basically over 5,000 people had become Christians in the city of Jerusalem. So the original 3,000 people, then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other men and women So now you've got some say 10% of the city of Jerusalem has turned their attention toward this new thing, this new belief about Jesus rising from the dead and being the promised Messiah and restoring relationship with Almighty God. This is a big thing. So the people in charge of the temple are like, okay guys, you cannot come in here preaching that. I mean, this is not okay. Because they especially felt picked on because Peter always said in in both of his sermons now, he said, you crucified him. He said that a lot. Oh yeah, by the way, as I'm telling the story, don't forget, you crucified him. <laughs> so, so they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in jail for the night. Well, word spreads throughout the city the people who are close to Peter and John, they're Jesus' kind of original uh, posse, the ones who got this this whole thing started. There are about 120 of them now. And they're like, they're like, oh no, you know, they they arrested Peter and John. Like, this is not good, because we know what happens when they arrest people for religious cause. Because they're thinking they crucified Jesus, and that was just two months ago, and now they've arrested Peter and John. We may never see them again. So of course they're scared to death. The next morning, though, they pull them out of jail and they bring them into the leaders of the temple who are not just the religious leaders, or understand, right? They are leaders of the community, the Jewish community. And they're like, okay, so what is it, guys? What is this thing that you keep talking about? And Peter's like, I'm glad you asked. And he launches into another sermon about Jesus being the Son of God and about Jesus rising from the dead. And as he concludes his sermon, here's his final statement in his sermon. Here's how he concludes it in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And he says, in conclusion, salvation is found in no one else. Talking about Jesus salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name, talking about Jesus, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So that's, that's narrow, isn't it? It's like, Peter, can you gear down a little? Maybe something like Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was a good teacher. Moses was a good guy. Oh, Abraham, he also was a good guy. Because So like Peter, can we, I mean, Peter still smelled like jail. I mean, he just got out of jail for saying this kind of stuff and he just can't shut up about it. And he says to his audience, the news that I want you to know is this, that God has done something miraculous among us. He sent his son and we can't shut up about this. We, we want for you to embrace Jesus for there is no other name. And this really bugs the leaders of the temple, the leaders of the Jewish people. But what was about to become a big problem was the guy that had been healed. <laughs> Remember him, Frank? He came to this meeting and he's standing there. Did you catch that? everybody knew this was a miracle and they can't exactly punish the miracle worker right goes on from there verse 13 When they saw the courage of peter and john realized they were unschooled and ordinary men they were astonished and took note that these men had been with jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed (laughs) standing there with them this was like his second day of standing Yesterday afternoon, guys, I was not a stander. Yesterday afternoon, I became a stander, and I'm still standing. I bet he didn't even go to bed that night. I bet he just kept walking around. I mean, what would you do, right? So he's standing there with them, and there was nothing they could say. So they say to Peter and John, Peter, John, okay, we're going to let you go, but you just need to kind of shut up about this, okay? Uh, we don't want to hear it. Uh, don't come in here anymore with this kind of ridiculous teaching. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the resurrection. Don't be blaming us for crucifying him. That's enough of that. Just keep your mouth shut, and we're going to let you go. <clears throat> Peter looks at them, fresh out of jail, and says, tell you what, <clears throat> you got to do what you got to do, and we got to do what we got to do. We cannot stop talking about what we've seen. So they take off through the streets and they find their group, Mary and James and Bartholomew and all the other disciples and the people that have become followers and they get with them and everybody breathes a sigh of relief because they really weren't sure if they'd see Peter and John again. Then Luke tells us they pray. I'm gonna show you the prayer in just a minute but if we can just imagine, how would you respond to this one? I'll tell you how I think I I would respond but how would you respond? Because you almost lost your number one guy and you're number two guy. You almost lost Peter and John. They spend the night in jail. They barely escape with their lives. So what are you going to pray for? I think I know how we would pray because we're Americans. We would pray the kind of prayers that we always pray. We would pray for protection. God, protect us. God, don't let us. God, bless us. Keep us from this and always and cover us with a hedge of protection and keep us and watch us over us and bless us and put a dome over us and a helmet on us and a tracking device because we're kind of all about safety and protection. And then we would probably recommend that Peter and John tone down the rhetoric. So like Peter, uh, here's what would help. No more talk about the resurrection. Let's just lay low. Knock off the resurrection talk for a little while. John, why don't you, you know, talk about love? Peter, maybe you could do some teaching on prayer. Uh, do that thing maybe about blessed are the peacemakers because we never really knew what that meant anyway. But people are you know, used to going to church and not knowing what they're talking about. So just tone down the rhetoric and let's lay low for a little while. And when this thing blows over, then you can ramp it back up if you want. You can test it out on some focus groups and with the Jesus talk and on the resurrection and all that. But so for now, no more of this. This just bothers people. <clears throat> and that's how we think, right? So we're like, let's just be careful. Let's be, be careful. Let's be sensitive. You ready for this? Here's how they prayed. <clears throat> Verse 24. When they heard this, this being the report of Peter and John, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So here's the first prayer of the first century church. They said, Sovereign Lord, They said, I love this. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, your father, David. So now they're going to quote an Old Testament passage that predicted that the Messiah would be persecuted and mistreated. So they quote this verse that they're familiar with. They all knew the Old Testament. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. Against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they bring it into their context to say that's exactly what happened. Verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. So they're praying like, God, you're the greatest. You're the sovereign God. You knew that these kinds of things would happen. Sure enough, they happened right here in this city that Herod and Pontius Pilate rose up against the anointed one in this city. says to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Look at the next part of their prayer. Verse 28, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And then they get to their prayer request. Check this out. Here's what they're going to ask for, okay? Don't look you up. This is so great because they're getting, they're getting to the gimme, gimme, gimme part that we like to get to first, right? We usually start with that because like, we're like, you know, Lord, thank you for this day, and here's what I need. Thank you for the day. Here's a list of stuff I need you to do for me. <clears throat> here's what they asked for, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Here's the request. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It's like whoa, time out. i just going to say one thing, guys, before you finish your prayer: boldness. You're asking for boldness. Isn't boldness <clears throat> kind of what got you into this thing? Isn't boldness what has created your current problem? Isn't boldness what landed you guys in jail? Isn't boldness what created all the chaos in the streets and in the temple? Isn't boldness what created this antagonistic spirit in the city between you and the religious leaders? Isn't boldness the problem? I think you got boldness covered. You're good on that. <clears throat> Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life prayed for boldness? Do you remember the last time you prayed for boldness? Is it even in our vocabulary as 21st century American Christians to ask God to give us boldness, to speak his word, to represent him in the marketplace, in our neighborhood, with our friends and family? <clears throat> we pray prayers every once in a while. You know, God, help her to become a Christian. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, uh, but would you help her become a Christian? Maybe write it in the sky. I'm not saying anything about it. Oh, and just so we're clear, I'm not, I'm not saying pray for weirdness, Okay. I want to be 100% clear on that. I'm not saying God give us more weirdness. Uh, we got plenty of that. I'm talking about boldness. Have you ever really considered this? Listen, do you know why the message of Jesus got to the 21st century? It's because the first century Christians had and prayed for boldness. That was the first thing they asked for. Then they asked for something even more extreme. Check this out, verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. (laughs) What if you began to pray your version of this? God, would you please stretch out your hand to do something through me? In my secular community, among my unbelieving friends, among my anti-church friends and family, among my friends who've been burned by religion, among my friends who are so smart, I can't convince them with my own power. God, would you be willing to stretch out your hand and do something unusual, not for my benefit, not in the church, but for the benefit of those who don't yet believe? Let me just ask you, can you imagine what would happen in our church, in our churches, in our community? Can you imagine what would happen if Christians in our churches began to add to because because I'm not even suggesting that you subtract from your prayers. I'm just saying, you know, pray for all the things you've been praying for. But if we began to add to our prayers, God, thank you for this day, help me on my test, pray that my face won't break out before my date this weekend, pray that I'll get married someday soon, pray I'll get a better job, let's pray for nice weather on the weekend. And would you give me boldness? Would you give me boldness with my friends? Would you give me boldness with my family? Would you give me boldness so that I would see opportunities and take those opportunities? Because I'm not a bold person, God, but would you give me boldness? And would you stretch out your hand and would you do something through me in my sphere of influence that would possibly get my friends who have just written you off and written the church off? Would you do something that might get them to possibly give you another look and give you a second chance? Can you imagine what would happen if we began to pray like these first century believers? I'll tell you what will happen. You will see more opportunities because we see what we're looking for. And when you begin to pray and I begin to pray, God, make me bolder and God, give me opportunities and God, stretch out your hand. You are going to see, see things you haven't seen before and perhaps God's going to do some things that God would not have done otherwise through you. <clears throat> Here's how the story wraps up. After they prayed, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And I, I don't know what that means. Was there an earthquake? You know, if the building shook, they shook, I don't know. But the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And then Luke, who's writing this down, says, oh yeah, and I got to tell you this one other part, this is pretty interesting, verse 32. And all the believers <clears throat> were one in heart and mind. Don't find that very much. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Suddenly, along with this boldness, there is an outbreak of extreme generosity. Not because of a sermon, not because someone said, well, if you give one, God will give you ten. None of that nonsense. It was just as they became outsider-focused, as they became concerned about their community, as they began to talk about the resurrection, there was an outbreak of generosity. So here's the deal. We've got a pretty good thing going on at Faith Community. We're a pretty healthy church. Even after more than six months of pandemic approach to church, we're still adding people. And our music is pretty good. The kids' ministries are still full of energy. Our congregation is younger than the average congregation. The, the teaching, well, the teaching is what it is. But we're in a good position, you know, financially, and we've got a great facility. But listen, none of that is why we're doing this, is it? I want us to be a healthy church, and yeah, we want it to be bigger than we are right now because we want to reach more people, but we really want to be a church that prays big prayers. We want this to be a church that learns by God's grace to leverage our growth and leverage our influence for the sake of something that has nothing to do with us. And I think you're good at that. I think your track record shows that. But here's what I know about us, because we're a church, that what starts like this over time, starts doing this. It's just the natural gravitational pull. So, here's what I want to challenge you with. <clears throat> if you want a point of application, an action step today, here's something you can do. When you pray, add to your prayers God, make me bolder. God, give me boldness. And God, this kind of part kind of freaks me out, but God, stretch out your hand. And if you could do something in my life that would cause people around me to be open to you, then God, I am available because I want to be on mission. I want to be part of this movement. I am the church in my city, in my community, in my world. Do you know what I think? I think God will answer that prayer. Listen, you and I are Christians today because the first century church prayed bold prayers. And I'm telling you, from a lot of my experience in church, our prayers, my prayers, would have never gotten the story of Jesus out of the first century because our prayers, so much of it is about protect me, help me, bless me, bless America, help so-and-so get elected, don't let me skin my knee in Jesus' name, amen. That's how we pray. And we're just so safety conscious. We are. And we're infatuated with our own comfort. It's usually why we support political candidates that we do. I'm telling you, if it had been up to us I'm afraid we would never have prayed the gospel out of the first century. But that can change. And listen, you are responsible. And I am responsible to hand the church off in good shape on mission to the next generation. So invite you to join me this week and pray with me, Lord, along with everything else I'm bringing to you, along with all the other things that I always pray about, Lord, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus, whatever that looks like in my world. A few minutes ago, we read the verse in Acts 4 where Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. He's talking about Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So right now, I actually want to stop and, and just pause here and give you a moment in time to where you, where you can transfer your trust in your own ability to be good enough to somehow make it to heaven, to where you trust in the death of Christ as a payment for your sin and the resurrection of Jesus as the bridge to lead you to a relationship with your heavenly Father. So I'm going to do this because I think it's important to have a moment in time, a date and place where you can refer back to maybe in years from now where you can look back and say, yeah, I remember that. I remember that day. I remember the people around me. I remember I remember. So I want to give you a chance to say I'm making the decision today to transfer my trust from my effort to be good enough to somehow be in good standing with God. I'm transferring all of my trust to the belief that Jesus did all this for me. I'm no longer going to trust in my ability, my efforts to be in good standing with God. From here on out, my trust is in the fact that Jesus has been the sacrifice for me and I'm fully trusting in him as the basis for my right standing with God. So if you're at the point where you'd like to do that, I'd like you to join me in a prayer. You can change the words, you can pray with your eyes open or closed, doesn't matter. I just want to give you an opportunity to have a moment where you can look back and say, that was the day. That was the day I made that transition from trusting in myself to trusting fully in Christ. So would you just pray this with me? Would you just say something like, Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe He came to be my Savior. I believe that when He died, He died for my sin." I believe that I can have a right standing with you through what he did. So today I'm placing all of my trust on Christ's death on the cross as a full payment for my sin. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for welcoming welcoming me into your family. And thank you for leading me on this path to believing in and following your son Jesus. <clears throat> now, this is kind of important. If you prayed this prayer with me just now. Would you do this? If you're here with us in person, would you take 30 seconds, fill out a connect card that's in a seat back near you, and on the back of that card, just check off the box that says, today I became a follower of Jesus, and I'd like to know more about my next steps. Make sure you include your email address, and I'll reach out to you this week. If you're with us at Church Online, just, just click on the tab uh, that says connect, and open the connect card there, and again, check that box that says, today I became a follower of Jesus, and would like to know more about my next steps, and I'll reach out to you this week. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for for being here this morning, for being open to what the Holy Spirit has to speak into your life today. I'll be praying for you this week as we become more aware of the opportunities that are before us, that we would exercise great boldness in the name of Jesus, that God would be glorified in our lives. Now let's go with boldness and be the church.